T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. Baseball is in a time of transition. The games are getting longer and longer, and the crowds are getting smaller. Now, many are asking if America's favorite pastime might be in need of an update. On this edition of In-Depth, we're going to search for some clues as to what may lie ahead for the sport by looking to its past. For that, KCBS sports anchor Steve Bitker and KCBS morning anchor Stan Bunger spoke with one of baseball's keenest observers, Tyler Kepner who's the national baseball writer for the New York Times. They'll be discussing Kepner's new book, which examines the history of baseball through the lens of some of its most famous and most infamous pitches. Here's that conversation. Our guest is Tyler Kepner, the national baseball writer for the New York Times and the author of the new book, K, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches. Tyler, welcome to the program. And you write th- about the central nature of the pitcher, perhaps the single most important single player in all of our team sports. Right. That's one of the things that makes baseball so fascinating to me is that the most important player on in a game is only going to play once every five days, and that's the starting pitcher. Now, we've seen the starting pitcher's job be changed a little bit recently with the opener uh, strategy by the Tampa Bay Rays, but basically one pitcher will pitch the bulk of the game and um, he can't pitch every day because of the nature of, uh, of the craft. So it's uh, very interesting to me how, how baseball works that way. So, Tyler, you uh, dedicate one chapter per pitch, beginning with a fastball and going all the way through the spitball. That's a fascinating way to write a book. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I, f- I felt like if I made the pitches themselves the characters, then I could sort of use all of the pitchers really throughout history to uh, to bring those pitches to life by talking about how they learned those pitches and how they applied them and why those pitches worked for them and and kind of just what the thinking is um, uh, behind that those pitches and the mechanics too. But it's it's definitely not a how-to book or anything. It's it's not an instructional guide. It's more just the stories and the origins behind uh, all those pitches and the way they've evolved over the years and we can get a little deeper into how this is changing in the modern iteration of baseball but a pitch is you know quite simply an object thrown by a human being but these things have personalities of their own and you you delved into that in a number of ways right the uh you know particularly uh, a pitch like the knuckleball um which is meant to be thrown uh with with no spin whereas every other pitch it's all about spin and spin rate and how much you can get the ball to how fast you can get it to move and how quickly you can get it to 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 break um but the knuckleball is 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 just a pitch that you, know, you throw off your fingertips and, and you try to kill the spin and, and get it to go in unpredictable ways. Um, it's just completely different kind of pitching experience and hitting experience. Um, and you know other things have other pitches have their own personalities too in a way. You know the, the changeup is is uh, is a fastball, but um, you know meant to be sold with 
arms the arm speed of a fastball but it comes in and then all of a sudden it just dies and tails away because it's thrown typically 10 miles an hour or so uh, slower than the fastball so um yeah every pitch is it has a different purpose and, and kind of a different feel to it tyler you interviewed uh, one guy that uh baseball fans in the san francisco bay area feel a very strong kinship with and that is former giants manager roger craig can you share any anecdotes from your talks with him yeah, well, Roger Craig, it's, it's funny, he gets he gets a lot of uh, attention and, and credit for popularizing the pitch and really just spreading it all throughout baseball, the split-finger fastball um, in, in the 80s. And, um, you know, he talked about how it was a pitch that, you know, he pitched for a long time with the, the Brooklyn Dodgers and the L.A. Dodgers and the and the Mets and the Cardinals, but um, he never really threw that pitch, that, that, that sort of modified football. Um, but he was looking for a pitch that he felt could he could safely teach to kids at a baseball school that he ran in San Diego. And um, he saw Bruce Suter throwing that pitch with the Cubs, and he asked Suter's coach, Fred Martin, how he, how he threw it. And it was really just a, a, a forkball, um, which is a pitch with your fingers split, um, you know, across the, the, the two narrow seams. And he, he said, this is a perfect pitch to be, uh, to be thrown uh, safely because you just throw it like a fastball. And um, at the end, it just, just basically dives right under the bats, falls onto the table. Um, the irony of course is that so many pitchers ended up getting hurt and, um, in America, that was that that was kind of a, a signal that you know that pitch was a little too dangerous to throw, so it fell out of favor. In Japan, didn't really fall out of favor. They still throw it a lot over there. Um, but yeah, Roger Craig really popularized that pitch with the Giants in the uh, in the eighties. So let's veer off into that debate about pitching and injuries, starting with little leaguers throwing curveballs, but all the way up to the big league level. And you know, Tommy John, who had a pretty good career as a pitcher, but will live forever because of the surgery <laughs> to which his name was attached. Yeah, there's a, definitely a, a debate about pitching injuries throughout the game, you know, how to stop the, the rising tide of injuries and how to keep these guys healthy. Um, the irony being that, that pitchers threw more innings um, in the old days uh, but didn't seem to get as hurt, get hurt as often. Um, I think that does overlook a lot of pitchers who, who came up and, and threw a lot of was young and then were never really heard from again, um, probably from overuse. Uh, but we definitely think of that generation of pitchers who would go 300 innings or 250, 280 innings um, frequently, you know, just like it was part of their job. You know, guys like Steve Carlton and, and uh, Fergie Jenkins and Nolan Ryan and, and, and so many guys for, from, from that, that era. Um, and it's just not done anymore. Uh, I mean, nobody really throws more than 220 innings, if that. Um, anymore, so yeah, it's it's a real riddle in baseball how how to keep these pitchers healthy, and 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 some of the pitches have been sort of deemed um, dangerous, um, even if there's no real scientific uh, backing for that. People say, well, the screwball will uh, will will turn your arm inward, so nobody throws that anymore. They kind of just throw changeups instead. Um, you know, we we talked about the split finger. There's always questions about the curveball at young ages. But if you talk to pitching coaches and even even doctors, they'll usually say that um, a, a properly thrown breaking pitch is uh, is is fine. It's just a question of being able to repeat the mechanics that you need to throw it, you know, to throw it properly and, and in a healthy way. It's more the speed that that hurts than anything. It's just throwing really really hard um, too often and too young. John Smoltz talked to you about the fact that uh, pitching staffs are now comprised of uh, multiple guys, multiple power arms, guys who can throw 100 miles an hour. And what this is in part led to is uh, more pitching changes, more strikeouts, longer games, and fewer fans turning out. Let me just quote from uh, Bull Durham, Steve. Strikeouts (laughs) are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground balls. More democratic. (laughs) 
<laughs> Crash right. 1988. Yeah. Is this a major concern, uh, the declining attendance in MLB? Well, it it it, uh, it should be. I think you know. Last year, um, it it fell by four million. I think from the previous year, it was under seventy million. Now it's still a lot of people um, who watch baseball, and if you compare it historically, compare it historically, um, it's doing pretty well. And and but you know, we have two teams in Florida that really struggled to draw, in particular, and um, and across the board, it, it's it, it's down in most places. Um, and there's you know, there's 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 a lot of reasons for that, but one thing that baseball is uh, has has been trying to remedy is is the pace of games and how long it seems to take um, these games. And so, you know, they, they've tried to cut down on time between pitches and things like that. But I think honestly, it's just now, um, you know, nowadays. Pit players are rewarded for uh, seeing a lot of pitches and showing a lot of p- plate discipline. And pitching is really, really hard to hit. So there's more strikeouts than hits, and there's more foul balls than balls in play um, because these pitchers have uh, advanced their craft so much to where it's just really difficult to do um, the, to, to hit a baseball. So the games take longer because there's just more pitches nowadays. Hi, I'm Stan Bunger. My colleague Susan Lee Taylor and I love to ask questions. How do we get packaging changed to something better? How bad could it get? What's the worst case scenario? Our 10 Questions with Stan and Susan podcast is all about interesting people who have to answer exactly 10 questions. What is that related element? What's going on there? What's in there? What's going to happen to all of this stuff of ours? Find 10 Questions with Stan and Susan at radio.com. But baseball had managed through about 150 years of its history to always sort of find an equilibrium with with a few exceptions. Are we at one of those inflection points where the game will have to be altered from its time-honored traditions to maintain some kind of equilibrium? That's the big question right now um, is whether is if there is a breaking point. and if so, have we gotten there yet? You know, more strikeouts than hits seems to be um, a possible breaking point. Um, we're on another, a record home run pace. There were more home runs hit in May of 2019 than any month in baseball history. So, you know, home runs are rising and walks are up again. Um, and, of course, strikeouts are, are always increasing. So, um that just means fewer and fewer balls in play and a lot of waiting around for the one big hit. Now that's not always how it happens in, in practice. I mean, there's plenty of, 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 there's still plenty of singles and doubles, um, but there are fewer singles than before. And, and, and there's certainly fewer stolen bases and bunts and, and sort of nuance and things like that. Um, so it's uh, something that, that baseball's watching. Uh, I, I kind of cringe when, when I think about possible sort of uh you know, ways to manipulate the the rules and, and and the action. But then again, you know, baseball has has changed over the years many times through its rules. So um, maybe there's a maybe there's something coming up. I mean, they're they're going to start looking at um, you know automated strike zone in the minor leagues. They, they've it, They've uh, in the independent leagues. They've flirted with the idea of pushing the mound back. Even um, you know you could they could always make changes to the baseball itself. Um, but all of those changes would be taken with a lot of care and, and nothing that can be done easily. 
What about the change that they've already instituted in the minor leagues with, um, I believe it's starting in the 11th inning or is it the 10th where there's already a guy at second base? In fact, my partner here announced <laughs> on the air an historic minor league game. Tell Tyler about that last season. I should just uh, explain by way of, of, you know, excusing myself. Tyler, so what happened, I was uh, guesting as the color analyst for the Round Rock Express with the great Mike Caps calling the play-by-play, and this game suddenly alters. I go, what's that guy doing at second base? The game had gone into extra innings, and we were there, first time I'd ever seen the new minor league rule last season where the extra 10th inning begins with a runner at second base, and you play from there. And what ended up happening was the first ever minor league game to end on a walk-off home run under the new rules. It was hit by Cameron Rupp uh, of the Round Rock Express at the time. Uh, but this is one, as Steve points out, one of the rules that they're tinkering with to try to what make games shorter, less stress on pitchers. What's the what's the goal of that rule? Well, the goal of that rule is to yeah to get games over quicker, but also to save. Um, pitchers from being put into situations that they're not used to um you know and that they're maybe not physically equipped to handle uh if you get an, basically an emergency situation where you run out of pitchers and then then the risk is that one guy is going to have to throw more than he should and 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 he could get injured that way or they'll have to put in a position player and basically concede the game um now I, again i don't think that that will happen but the fact that they have introduced it in the minors and in the world baseball classic um is an indication of just how serious baseball is about that um i think that'd be terrible personally i think the long extra inning games are are rare enough um to where it's not a major problem and that it's a lot of fun and memorable when you get to go to one of those games if you want to leave early you can leave early but if not you know you might have a a lasting memory of something uh, really unusual and bizarre and i think baseball has so many of those fun quirky um things that they they should celebrate those and not try to uh you know artificially uh get you know get you know, get rid of them. Those of us who love baseball have already noted subtle changes to the game caused by the replay rule, right? People slide differently. There are different approaches to things because they know they've got this super high speed or, uh, you know, super uh, re- review uh, system that can dig right down to the frame level and figure out if the fingernail came off the bag. But you write a little bit about the, uh, some other subtle changes in baseball that have come with greater observation of the game, scuffed balls, uh, doctoring the ball, things that might have happened in the past that don't happen now or might happen now that didn't happen in the past. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a really rich history in baseball of uh, players trying to get an edge by scuffing the ball or or throwing spitballs or Vaseline balls or something. Um, Always illegal, but, um, you know, players figuring they could get away with it. in in the years since they banned the spitball in 1920 but now um you know every every pitch is is measured so with such pinpoint accuracy about it it, how how it's spinning and the axis it's spinning on and all that stuff um so if a pitch all of a sudden has an unnatural kind of spin uh all the kids in the video room that you that you pay to break down every every second of of data uh will be able to you know find how he's getting it find where he's where he's putting the uh, Vaseline on the ball or how he's getting the scuff. And and very quickly they'll be able to to scope that out. So um, 
I know pitchers obviously, you know, will use some some sticky stuff on their on their hands. They can get that pretty easily at various points on their on their body, their arms, their hats, their the you know pants or whatever. Um, but players generally look the other way because they they they, they kind of want the pitcher almost to have a have a grip. They don't want that baseball to slip from his hands and, and hit him, you know, in the head or something. Um, but anything beyond just a just a general tackiness on your hands is is uh, is is frowned upon and there's definitely a um a way to kind of subtly conceal stuff like that and, and and get away with it but but if you're doing something that's going to fundamentally alter the the path of the ball and the direction um then that's still against the rules and and, and you don't see much of that anymore just because you're right because of all those cameras just absolutely everywhere Tyler, I asked you earlier about Roger Craig, uh, another guy with local ties, Dave Duncan. I mean, he was a uh, a fairly pedestrian major league catcher, but uh, a very, very successful coach on Tony LaRusso's staff for many years in Oakland and St. Louis and had a great reputation for working with pitchers. What did you glean from him? Yes, well, I, I made sure I, I talked to him. I, I covered his, his son, Shelly Duncan, when he played for the Yankees. He's just a great guy as a coach for the uh, Blue Jays now. And, and I wanted to make sure I, I talked to Dave, um, particularly because one of, one of the things Dave did so well was, was teach pitchers the value in um, weak contact, in, in putting the ball in play on the ground um, where the hitters can't do much damage to you. Um, and that really stands in contrast with the way the, the pitching style that's in right now, which is throwing high fastballs and curveballs, um, in other words, throwing above the zone where it's hard to reach, and then down below the zone um, to the the high low, you know, the north south angle. Um, and you know, Duncan was has a lot of success with more of an east west approach, like busting them in and then getting them away, um, so they can really only get extra base hits if they're right down the line. Um, so it was interesting to hear sort of the the approach to um, you know a ground ball style, let's say, versus just a, a high strikeout style of, of pitching, and 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 why that's kind of uh, gone out of vogue here. But uh, you know, I. I I feel like Duncan was able to show that um, you know there, there's still plenty of examples of, of ways that you can thrive by throwing sinkers and sliders um, rather than just high curveballs and or high fastballs and, and, and curves. We record history in the making every hour on KCBS. Now we're digging into our archives to tell you how it sounded back in the day. I have a tape recorder in my hand. It worked for a couple of seconds. I'm Stan Bunker. Join me for the News Vault podcast, available through the Radio.com app and wherever you go for podcasts. You you picked up a lot of stories that sort of relate back to the same theme, which is kind of a almost a tribal passing of knowledge from one generation to the next, from one team to the next, from a teammate to another guy, down to the kids in the minor leagues. I think the, the Mariano Rivera-Roy Halliday story about the grip and Halliday supposedly carried a ball with a, an inked-in, you know, here's where your fingers go to throw that, uh, that pitch. Um, but is this still going on at, at the level that it did for all those years, or are the modern techniques, you mentioned the spin rate and the video breakdown and all of those things, are we still having tribal wisdom passed down, or now is it science being passed down? Well, it's it's both, and in some ways, you know, the science is the new tribal wisdom. Like, you, know, you talk to, I've been talking to Trevor Bauer lately for a story I'm working on, he pitches for the Indians, and, and he's very much uh, a student of the the science of of pitching and and of learning um, about 
pitch design through video analysis and, and, and through all the, the data points that you can find from that. And so he, you know, he, he can learn pitches that way or refine his pitches that way. And then he, he does show other players. He has a video on his website where he's showing uh, Kikuchi uh, of the Mariners about how, how they, how they, you know, he throws his change up, for example. Um, and uh, encouraging other pitchers to kind of learn from video and, and, and data as well. So um, it's uh, yeah, it, it's just sort of a modern outgrowth now of, of the old uh, of the old philosophy, which is you know if you know something uh, it, as as a fellow pitcher, you should you should share it because there's there's a good chance that the other pitcher you share it with won't be able to replicate it anyway because he might have different you know biomechanics than you and and um, you know, his physiology is going to be different, but there's sort of a, uh, unspoken kind of brotherhood where, um, Hey, how do you throw that pitch? Can you show me the grip on that pitch? And then, then, uh, you know, the other pitcher sort of obliges there. It's, it's sort of, uh, something that's expected within, within their ranks. And because you spend time sort of behind the curtain, where do these pitches get tried out? So Steve shows me a new grip for my cut fastball. How do I try that out and make sure it works before I have to stand in a game situation and deliver it? Yeah, well, the bullpen sessions are, are, are great for that. Sometimes just playing catch, you know, on, on flat ground even. Um, but then they'll take it to uh, to the bullpen and, and try to work on it there. Um, but a lot of times it that's where it ends because when you get out on the mound, you, you really – it's all about conviction in the pitch that you throw and, and belief in um, in that choice. And, and that's one thing I, I've, I found – very interesting, really, is that um, it, it, every pitcher will tell you that, that, that if you don't have absolute conviction um, and belief in the pitch that you're throwing, it's not going to be a good pitch. Um, so if you go out there with any hesitation with a pitch that's still kind of a work in progress um, from the bullpen, you're not going to be able to succeed with it. So I remember talking to Dennis Eckersley about um, being a great pitcher during the um, – you know that that split finger fastball era, and he never could throw it, and he and he tried. You know, he he would he got a cast made of his of his hand with his fingers spread as far apart as they could because he didn't really have a natural finger spread, and um, you know he put his hand in that cast all winter, hoping that you know he could develop that 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 proper you know grip width on his on his second and third fingers, but it just didn't it didn't happen for him. And he's like, as much as I practiced in the bullpen, I was never confident enough taking it into a game in the ninth inning. Tyler, you love baseball. Stan and I love baseball. Everyone in Japan and in Latin America loves baseball. But, man, the younger generation just doesn't love it like we did when we were younger. Um, you you talked in, in this book about, um, among other things, the rules that hitters are supposed to stay in the box, and they're enforcing this in the minor leagues, but major league umpires aren't enforcing what they're supposed to enforce. If they did... They could cut down considerable length in these games, correct? In theory, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's crazy that they, they they talk about implementing that sort of thing, um, but the umpires really don't have much uh, sway over it, or they don't they don't. You never see it called. Um, usually, what what happens is a player will get a a, a letter, um, formal letter from the league, uh, advising him that, you know, telling him what he's doing wrong, kind of a warning, and then uh, maybe a fine later. Um, but they're not really doing anything on the field, and, and for most of the players, the fine is is, is minimal. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it, it really hasn't changed a whole heck of a lot. Um, they can implement some of that stuff in the minor leagues, but um, anything you do in the major leagues is, has to be collectively bargained, and, um, yeah, that makes things more complicated. 
baseball is still a multi-billion dollar business, but from where you sit, is there an existential crisis here? We've talked about attendance. This year, actually, things have kind of stabilized. I know 18 of the 30 teams are down, but a few are up. And overall, as of the time of this recording, Major League Baseball's average attendance for all games in all ballparks is only down about 500 fans per game. But have we reached a point where the game has to really consider whether, as Steve indicated a moment ago, younger fans are growing up with the same geeky level of enthusiasm for it that maybe all three of us did? Yeah, well, that's one of the one of the things I hope can come from from this book and and hopefully future books that I write is 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 kind of bringing back some of that appreciation for the history of the game and and some of the, the greats who went before and and understanding that what we're seeing out there is really just a continuation, um, another another few links in in the chain, uh, really rich and and interesting. Um, chain going all the way back to the beginnings um so yeah i I, uh, it's it's very important that baseball captures the young kids and and but i've been hearing that forever since i was a kid saying that baseball wasn't popular among the young set because it's too slow and basketball and football and hockey are so fast and everything and soccer is so international but um you know, for all that, and, and as important as it is, I mean, I, I think we should remember that these are 30 teams that, that play 162 games and with, with a system of, of several minor league teams um, all throughout the country, and they can sustain that. They can sustain a, a $10 billion industry. Um, you know, enough people care about baseball to, to keep all those teams afloat, major and minor. And uh, and watch on you know on national ratings, but all uh, national platforms, but also local platforms and and the app and everything. So I think baseball is still doing really well. Um, whether it was doing quite as well as it was before, um, you know, maybe that's 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 an issue. That's certainly something they need to keep an eye on. Um, but you know, they've taken it internationally. They started the season in Japan. We'll be going over to England at the end of the month. The Yankees and Red Sox. So. Um, I think baseball's doing pretty well, but it, 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 it could certainly do better. Tyler, how do you feel about uh, suggestions that the shift or portions of the shift should be modified or outlawed? Do you think it'll happen? Uh, again, that's one of those things they're looking at. I think that they will not end up doing that. I think that the, the game itself will self-correct um, and that players who can go the other way will, um, will do that more often and that that skill will be... Um, valued more by teams because it's rare you know if, if we see the success it's just in new york this year that the, the yankees signed uh dj lemayhew formerly of the rockies and, and everybody loves him because he puts the ball on bat on the ball he can go the other way he's just a great professional um kind of hitter the mets have a young guy named jeff mcneil in the same mold um so i maybe it's it's naive but i i hope that um players like that who have good bat to ball skills and, and can beat the shift and or or you know, not be shifted against, um, will start to command more money, and, and then they'll, that skill will be something that kids work on more. Well, we thank you for the time. Tyler Kepner, national baseball writer for the New York Times and author of the new book, K, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches. Once again, that was KCBS sports anchor Steve Bitker and KCBS morning anchor Stan Bunger in conversation with Tyler Kepner, who is the national baseball writer for the New York Times. This has been KCBS In-Depth. You can find past editions of the program online at kcbsradio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you heard, feel free to pitch a rating or review our way. We do appreciate the feedback, and it also helps other people discover the program. 
For KCBS and In-Depth, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for all news 740 and FM 106.9 KCBS. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.